such injustice for so long? The young man said, it's easy. The guy's going to New York, but I'm sending his luggage to Brazil. <laughs> you know, there are all sorts of people in the world, aren't there? There are some that are easy to get along with, and then there's others that they term prickly as a porcupine. You just touch them, and there's ouch, and you get, get stuck. You know, not everyone is kind like you are. Some folk may be having a bad day. And when it comes to you, and when they come across your path, what happens, and write to others, it matters how you respond. In fact, you and I, we can control how we respond to others. We cannot control how they respond to us, but we can control how we respond to others. It will either open or close doors. It will either draw people to our Savior or we will repel them from wanting our Savior as they look at us and how we deal with them. I want you to see as we look at this portion of Scripture tonight, first of all, we are to respond right to folk no matter how they treat us. We're to respond right to people no matter how they treat us. As you come down to verse number 18, notice what it says. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the forward. In this verse, the apostle Peter addresses a servant-master relationship. It's kind of like the employer-employee relationship that we have today. Notice the attitude of the servant toward the master. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, and not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the forward. That word subject, in the, in the Greek, it carries this idea to, to arrange ourselves under, to obey, to submit to one's control. It's interesting, this particular term, it's a, it's a Greek military term. It means to arrange under. It's dealing with troops in a military fashion under the commander of a leader. Can you imagine the uh, troops, those of you that have been in the military, uh, you have a commander. And as you look at your commander, whoever that be, whether it be a sergeant or a captain or a lieutenant or who, whatever the rank is, to arrange yourself under that particular one. I wonder if you all had uh, commanders or leaders that were always nice and kind. Uh, especially when you were in boot camp for those that were there, uh, you know, that first uh, few weeks trying to learn to get into shape. Uh, you know, getting up at 5 o'clock or whatever it was in the morning, having to get yourself up and, huh, 4 o'clock? Four, four, three, three, do I hear two, two? Um, you know, and they come up and say, okay, now, boys, it's time for you to get up. Some, of, some, some people would just put a pillow. I don't think that's how they treated you. I think they wanted you to learn how to get up immediately uh, when they called you to attention. And you know what? With the right attitude, with the right attitude. You know, some, uh, some uh, young men have been at home and mom's taken care of them for so long and made their beds and, and uh, you know, taking such good care of them, put away their clothes, and they go into a situation like that, it's like shock city. <laughs> but learning how to submit and to obey under those difficult situations, God, these are principles that God teaches in his word. You're not always going to have uh, somebody that you're going to like. Do some of you remember teachers in school that you liked? Do you remember some of the teachers in your school that you didn't like? And you say, well, you know what, I don't, I'm not going to, yeah, you better say nice things about your teacher now. She's so your home school, brother. 
You could be going on the 20-year the, the plan on, for high school. You better watch out. All right. But, you know, that's, that's the way it is. And here in this portion of Scripture, it's this idea of submitting yourselves under. In the non-military use of the term, it's, it's this idea of voluntary attitude of giving in. A voluntary attitude, when you're talking about uh, be subject, voluntarily giving in under that, assuming responsibility, carrying a burden, uh, cooperating with. Here in this particular portion of Scripture, that particular word is used what they call in the present tense. It means right here and now. It's not down in the future. You know, some people, they live their life for the future. Well, someday I will begin to. No, no, no. Peter says, you need to do it now. You need to learn how to submit, to be subject to those in authority now. Not when you're older, not when you're uh, grandma and grandpa's age, now. And he's dealing with Christians as a whole. If you're a Christian, this is, re this is relating to you. How we're supposed to respond to authority, we're to be subject now. And it's in the passive tense. You say, what's the difference between the passive? The active tense says this. It's the one who's doing the action. In other words, uh, I am loosing the dog. I am releasing the dog, if you would. I'm loosing the dog. Uh, but in the passive action, it's, it's a passive. It's like this. I am being loosed. I have placed myself under this person who is now in authority over me. And notice as you think about this for a moment, these people, these servants, these, ma these, uh, these uh, servants were supposed to submit themselves to their masters. How? They are to be subject to their masters with all, look what it says here in verse number 18, be subject to your masters with all fear. It's the word phobos, fear, to dread, to terror. You know, we have this idea, I don't fear anybody. Jesus said, you know, there's one person you better learn how to fear, and that's him. You know, I found this to be true. If people will not fear God, they won't fear authority. That's why, parents, it's important for you as you work with your children to help them to understand they need to fear you. Now, it's not this type of thing. Uh, that, you know, we just, they're cringing all the time. That's not the issue. That's not the point. But this, this idea of fear means to, to have dread about doing what's right. If I don't do right, there are consequences for that. You're preparing them not only for future leaders, that are going to be over them to learn to submit under those people, but also to submit to God. If they won't submit to your authority, they will, not, they will never submit to God's authority. I don't know about you, when we were rearing children, I wanted our children to submit to God. And you know, it starts in the home. It starts with us teaching our children that important, that important part. You know, this... Uh, this idea of fear, dread, it's quite different from what we see today in many workplaces, isn't it? Today, we find people trying to tell their employers what to do. Well, this is what you, what you need to do. Now, the employer says, no, this is what you need to do. Today, the, today the employee, uh, uh, they tell the employers what they will or will not do. I'm not going to do this. I, I don't have to do this. I want more of a break. I want, or they come up with this. When a job's been given to them, they start telling the employer why they, don't, why they don't or shouldn't have to do the job. That's not submission. We've lost the principles of the Word of God. And folks, 
may I share with you, when you start setting aside the principles of God's word, things begin to crumble. God knows how things are supposed to be. How when you do these things in the right order, it gives peace. You know, if you were in the military and, and you learned that, the, this principle of submitting with regard to that, uh, may I share with you, it makes it go a whole lot easier for you. But if you rebel against that, you will find the consequences. The same is, is true with any authority. Uh, some people, they just can't keep a job for very long. They get under the authority of one person, and one person tells them to do something, and they get to that point and say, you know what, I don't have to do that anymore. I'm going to get out on my own. So the uh, employer says, great, go for it. They go off into another job, and then they do that for a little while, and that person says something that they don't like, and then what happens? They wind up leaving that job, going to some other job. Folks, can I tell you something? You're going to be a miserable person just moving from job to job and place to place. Uh, people do it in churches. They hear, they don't, they hear something that they, that they, they don't like, the, the, what the preacher says, what the Word of God says, and so they go to another church. They look for somebody uh, to tell them what they want to hear. They do that for a while, but I guarantee you, mark it down. Someplace along the line, they're going to hear something from that preacher that they're not going to like, and then they'll go from another church. It's the issue of authority. Folks, we need to stop and say, okay, Lord, are you speaking to me? And if you're speaking to me, I'm going to submit willingly, voluntarily to your will for my life. And I will do that which is right. The Apostle Paul speaks about this matter over in Ephesians. Go over to Ephesians with me, if you would. Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. It's amazing how we find harmony in the Scriptures. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5, the Apostle Paul speaks about the same idea. It says, Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh. Notice, with fear and trembling. This word fear is exactly the same word that we saw over there in that 1 in that, uh, Peter. Same word. And here we're dealing with this idea. Servants obey. Uh, servants uh, fear those masters. Hey, it's the same thing of fear God. Because I don't want to have to fear God. Well, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Do you want, the, you want to have God's wisdom? You've got to learn to fear Him. You've got to learn to know that He knows what's right. I guarantee you, if you're going to, as you come in life, you're going to find you're going to have to make choices in life. Whether to trust the one who's leading or trust yourself. Uh, we went out uh, one time, I shared this, this uh, before, um, we had a, a, we were at camp and we had like 80 or 90 junior hires. Can you imagine this? 80, 90 junior hires going on a midnight hike. And so uh, it's bad enough in the daytime, but at night, a midnight hike. And we had this gentleman, he says, I'm an Indian. I was raised in Indian. I know how to uh, blaze a trail. So he took us out in the middle of the, the timber in, in the middle of the night. Well, he forgot that at night things are dark. And so we're walking down this, this road, and then we're walking down this road, and then we're walking, and it was little trails where we're walking down. And all of a sudden, because I was one of the leaders with them, uh, I wasn't just one of the campers, I was one of the leaders, and all of a sudden they said, young people, we just need to stop here for a minute. So we all pulled over and stopped, and I was just kind of curious, what's going on? We, did, we went this way, and now we're going this way, and now we're going back this way. And I went up, I said, what in the world is going on? He says, well, I marked it during the daytime. I cut a little notch in the tree. And he can't see it at night. So uh, we finally figured out where we were. Uh, I shouldn't have trusted him. But, you know, he eventually got us back on track. Can I tell you something? You can trust the Lord all the time. 
And he will never lead you down the wrong path. He'll always lead you in the right way. And here, you have to learn, am I going to, to submit, to arrange myself under that who is leading to get to the right place? And you and I, we must decide that in our life. Will I submit to the Lord's leading and put myself under his direction to know what way he's going? Folks, may I share with you that God allows leaders to come up in our life. Mom and dad, teachers in our school, government officials. You say, well, pastor, what is God trying to teach us? He's trying to teach us that he knows the best way, and he's allowed those people to be in positions of leadership to show us, teach us. Sometimes it's to teach us what not to do. I learned that from that gentleman. You know, make sure that you put flags out or something, or, you know, have flashlights at the place or different things like that. Have somebody to mark the, mark the way. Uh, but the reality is we can learn from these things. And God says we're to, we're to do it with fear. But notice what he goes on to say. He says, uh, servants, you're uh, to be obedient unto them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear. Notice, and trembling. That idea of trembling, it, it's an anxiety of, a, of one who distrusts his ability to completely uh, complete all the requirements. But they do so religiously and try to fulfill it to the best of their ability. That's this idea of trembling. You know, I sure hope I'm doing it right. I hope I'm going the right direction. I hope I'm, I'm following instruction in the right way. When I was getting ready to get my uh, driver's license in Reading, they were doing some change up of, of the streets. And uh, it was just happened just before I was getting ready to... to uh, get my driver's license. They changed some streets that were going two ways. All of a sudden, now they're going one way. And some of the streets that were one way, they changed to go two way. And so as I was going down this road, and all of a sudden, the guy, the, the inspector who was sitting there with me as I was going down the road, and he says, uh, turn left right here. Well, that used to be a one way road going the opposite direction. And I thought, man, he's just testing me to see if I know what I'm doing. And so he, he said, turn, turn left right here. I'm thinking, no way. I'm not turning left. That's a one-way street. So I just kept on going. He had his little book right here. And uh, we went on down to another place. He said, now, turn right here. I, said, oh, I don't think he's going to do it twice. So I turned right. I followed his instructions. When we finally got done, and we pulled up. You know, they pull up and they stop, and you're waiting for them to say, did you pass or did you fail? And I sat right there, and he says, well, I've got some good news, and I've got some bad news. The bad news was, you didn't pay attention to what I told you to do. Remember back there on such and such a place, I told you to turn, and you didn't do it. You know what? I gave him my excuse. Well, that was a one-way street. He says, no, it was changed into a two-way street. You should have followed my instructions. I got marked off for that. You know, in my mind, I thought, man, that's not fair. I shouldn't, I shouldn't be docked for that. Reality was, I should have been docked for it. Because my responsibility was to submit under his leadership. If I had turned down that road and it was a one-way street going the wrong way, guess whose fault it would have been? His. So he could have paid for my car being repaired. But the reality was, he was watching to see, are we watching, are we paying attention to what's going on? And following those in authority. And that's one of the things that he was trying to teach. Uh, 
with that, that trembling. I, and I was wondering, am I going to do all those things right? I didn't do them all right. But I did it to the, me, the best of my ability. Guess what? The next time when I was on that road, I went back and checked it out. I wanted to make sure that what was said is, was exactly right. I wanted to do what was right. That's what the church in Berea was. See, when in Thessalonica, the Bible says that the people in Berea were more noble than those in Thessalonica. The people in Thessalonica, when they heard the word of God, they believed it. They accepted it. But the people in Berea, they went one step beyond that. They accepted what Paul had said, but then they wanted to, they checked out in the scriptures themselves so that they could be able to share, share it with other people what Paul was saying, and it was true. Folks, what happens, people just say this sometimes. Well, that's what my pastor believes, or that's what my church believes. Do you believe in eternal security? Oh, yeah, we believe in eternal security. That's what our church believes. Well, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? Jesus said, I, my sheep hear my voice, and I give unto them what? Eternal life, and they shall never perish. I, I give unto them eternal life. And here, eternal life is life without end. I'm going to trust Jesus. I'm going to believe what he says. But, you know, you can go to John chapter 10 and look it up for yourself and prove it to other people. This is what Jesus says. It's not just my idea. It's Jesus' idea. And Jesus is the truth. Notice, these servants were to obey their masters with fear, with trembling, but notice, with singleness of heart. He says, Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in singleness of heart as unto the Lord. Hey, we're to, we're to do what we do as unto the Lord. Whatever the authority that God has placed unto, over us, we're to do it as unto the Lord. When I'm at, at school, the teachers are the authority that God's placed in that position. That means I'm supposed to do what the teachers say to do as unto the Lord. Now, Let's just stop a moment. Let's, let's, and I know we're in an interesting time in which we live. We've got some teachers that are uh, doing some evil things. For example, uh, in the news they were talking about one, or in some of the school districts, what they were talking about, they were saying, young people, you got phones, and, and, and Donovan, you got a new phone, and, and they were talking about the LBGT. Uh, you know, the teachers would talk about that, and they'd see if the kids are kind of like, yeah, that's what I am. I'm, kind of, I'm not sure whether I'm gay or I'm straight or whatever. And they would see how those kids were responding. And then what they would do is they'd say, hey, can I see your phone? And then they would, they, at a later time, they'd, they'd look at your phone and where you're, where you're going in your apps. And if you were going on those type of websites, they'd try to recruit you to be part of the LBGT. Folks, can I tell you something? That's evil. That's wicked. And we as parents have a responsibility to stand up for that which is right. You see, I don't believe people would do that. Hey, there's a lot of venues that people are looking into today that we need to realize and understand. We need to, to watch and just to protect our children, protect our, our families, protect our homes. Uh, we, need to, we need to be uh, alert to those things. We're to, but we're to submit and do that which is right. Notice, as unto the Lord, if Jesus would not be pleased with it, then we're not to do it. I remember I was in a creative writing class and the teacher said, we want you, I want you to write a, a, a short story. He told the class, he said, I want you to write a, a short story. And he says, you can use all the four-letter words you want to. It's okay. I raised my hand and I said, sir, I'm not going to do that. That same class was one, the one that they had some books that, that were 
had some of those, that, that filthy language in it. You've got to read this book in order to get a, get a good grade in the class. I'm not going to read that book. And I praise God I had some Christian parents that stood with me and stood up. Guess what I didn't have to do? I didn't have to read those books. When I went to a Christian college, and they're in a Christian college, I was, uh, you know, in Christian college, you've got professors that are supposed to be Christians that love Jesus Christ and want to do what's right and, and, and live for Jesus. And you never think that you would get in a Christian college to read literature that would not be pleasing unto the Lord. But one of the English assignments was the tale of Bath. And it was about a prostitute and what she thought. And I went to the teacher and I said, Let's, let me just, sir, I, I uh, respect you as being the teacher, but I'm going to tell you something right now. I'm not going to read that story. I said, if I want to know what a prostitute thinks and how they think, I, all I have to do is go to the book of Proverbs chapter 7 and it tells me what their mindset is. I went through all public school for all 12 years and I guarded and didn't put my mind into that stuff. I'm not going to do it now in a Christian college. Folks, we need to stand wherever we may be. We do it as unto the Lord. We, need to, we can do it respectfully, but we need to take a stand for Jesus Christ. If we don't take a stand, who's going to? Who's going to? Here, as, he, as we're talking, it says, not with, uh, he, as he said, with singleness of heart as unto the Lord, not with eye service. In other words, you know there's some people, when the bosses are right there, the people work really hard, and then the boss walks away, and what happens? Sit down, coffee break time for the next 40, 50 minutes. No, 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 that's not how we're to be. Hey, when the teacher walks out of the classroom, I, Kathy understands this. When the teacher walks out of the classroom, you say, well, uh, when she used to be a teacher, I'm sure that the kids sometimes would look as an opportunity to uh, do whatever when the, yeah, I know some of you are kind of laughing, you yeah, know, I, 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 no. God says, hey, let me just tell you how you ought to be. We are talking about that this morning, about doing the things that are pleasing to the Lord. Hey, it's not as with eye service. Not only when he's looking, but your integrity shows when that person of authority is not looking. That's when your integrity, who you really are, comes out. Here, it's talking about this idea. He says, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. You know, there's a, there's a, a response which will reap rewards from God, as we said, verse number eight. When you do that which is good, and you follow and, and, and apply these principles of following the leadership and submitting under the authority that God's given to you, God rewards. So you say, okay, pastor, I'm going to, I'm going to submit, I'm going to do right to those that are in authority over me as long as they treat me right. But consider what Paul says back in 1 Peter. Go back to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, that's easy, the people that are treat you good, that do right to you, but notice the next part, but also to the forward. That word forward means perverse, wicked, or unfair. You know, a slave was not guaranteed what type of master would purchase them. There could be ones that were kind and gracious and nice, but they could be hard 
and mean and uncaring and unsympathetic, and yet the Word of God says what? We're to submit to those to do what we ought to do in pleasing them as unto the Lord. Um, let me give you some examples. Go to Genesis chapter 31 for a second. Genesis chapter 31. I find this very interesting because you remember Jacob? Jacob was always trying to get the best deal. He was, you know, he was a wheeler and he was a dealer. He was a person who looked out for number one. He was always looking out for himself. And uh, Jacob was called a supplanter. And, you know, it's interesting. God, will always, God can always bring somebody who's more sharp in the area of being cruel than you are. And he does that for a reason, to get your attention. And so, here Jacob, remember he stole his, his brother's birthright. He stole the blessing. He got the blessing from him. And so now uh, Esau was all upset, and Jacob runs away, and uh, his mom told him, go back and live with my, my brother Laban back there. Go live back there with him until your brother cools off and things will be okay. Laban was better at this than Jacob was. And the Bible says here in Genesis chapter 31, look at verse number 3. And the Lord said unto Jacob, return to the land of thy fathers. Now he's been here 20 years. He's been there for 20 years. He says, return to the land of thy fathers and to thy kindred, and I will be with thee. And Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the field unto his flock, and said unto them, I see your father's countenance that is not toward me as before, but the God of my father hath been with me. And ye know that with all my power I have what? Served your father. And your father hath deceived me and changed my wages ten times. That number ten is a, in the scriptures, it deals with the idea of testing. He's changed. You say, well, was it only 10 times? No, it's the idea. You know what? He'd say, well, this is going to be your wages. And then when he, that, that turned out, God blessed it, uh, what, uh, what his wages were going to be. And Laban says, no, no, that's not going to be good. So he changed his wages to something different. And then he would change his wages to something different because he thought he was getting the upper hand and God overrode that situation. But he changed his wages 10 times. He, and notice what he says, but God suffered him not to, to hurt me. If so, if he said thus, the speckled shall be thy wages, speckled in the animals be thy wages, then all the cattle were speckled. Amazing. Uh, Laban say, well, you know what, you can have all the speckled animals. So he says, okay, all the speckled animals. We think, well, you know, uh, the speckled, they weren't the strongest ones. But you know what, God gave them all speckled animals. The, the good ones turned out to be the speckled ones. And then he goes on, he says, then all the cattle were speckled. And if he thus said, the ring strake shall be thy hire, then bear all the cattle the ring strake. Thus God had taken away the cattle of your father and given them to me. God, God was able to take care of him, even though Laban was mean. He was, he was a tyrant. And God still provided. God took care of Jacob in that situation. But notice what it said in verse number 6. And ye know that with all my power... I served, what? Your father. Even in that situation. I mean, he had to be out there cold nights taking care of the animals. When it was cold. And when it was the heat of the day, if an animal came and, and, and stole the an, uh, killed one of the animals, he took the loss of it. it. All those hard things. But he gave it 
his all. He gave it his best. You know, uh, God still took care of Jacob in the midst of all that. I think of Joseph, who was sold as a slave to Potiphar. And we go over to chapter 39, go over there very quickly. Genesis chapter 39. He was sold by his brothers. And it says in verse 1, And Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And the master saw the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper. And Joseph found grace in his sight. And he, what? Served him. And he served him. And he, Potiphar, made him, Joseph, overseer over his house. And all that he had uh, put into his hand. And it came to pass from the time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand. And he knew not what he had, save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well favored. What do we have? Here Joseph, he was sold by his brothers. He was put in Potiphar's house. And, God, and he served this man. He could have been bitter. He could have been uh, upset. He could have been, I'm not going to do my best. I'm going to break loose of this. I'm going to get out of this as soon. Instead, he took the principles that we've been talking about, served the Lord, and God did what? Blessed him. God blessed him in the midst of that. We are to serve those employers who are over us as we would serve the Lord Jesus. We are to be people of integrity. We ought to give them our very best. Why? Because our testimony is on the line. Our testimony for Jesus. Others are watching how we respond. The story is told of a business owner who had employed scores of Christians in his company. And he watched them like a hawk. He said, you know, I was naturally drawn to God by observing Christian." Uh, Christian workers who are conscientious, kind, thorough, and aggressive on the job, he said. But I'll tell you what really impressed me one day. A guy who I knew was a fresh Christian asked if he could see me after work. I agreed to meet with him, but later in the day I started to worry that this young uh, religious zealot might come and try to convert me. The owner said, I was surprised when he came in to my office with his head hanging low and said to me, Sir, I'll only take a few minutes, but I'm here to ask your forgiveness. Over the past, over the years, I've worked for you. I've done what a lot of other employees did, like borrowing a few company products here and there, and I've taken some extra supplies, and I've abused the telephone, the telephone privileges, and I cheated the time clock now and then. But I became a Christian a few months ago, and it's real, not smoke and mirrors. In gratitude for what Christ has done for me, and in obedience to Him, I want to make amends with you and the company for the wrongs that I've done. So could we figure out a way to do that? If you would fire me for what I've done, I understand. I deserve it. 
or if you would dock my pay, dock it whatever you figure you, uh, you think is appropriate. If you want to give, uh, give me some extra work to do on my own time, that would be okay too. I just want to make things right with God and between us. Things worked out there between those men. And the business owner said that this conversation made a deeper spiritual impact on him than anything else ever had. It was the single most impressive demonstration of true Christianity he had ever witnessed. What was it that made that new believer so contagious? That this man wanted, this person eventually did get saved. What was it that drew him? Was it a clever new gospel presentation? Was it a well-rehearsed testimony? No. It was merely a genuine, humble admission of wrongdoing along with a willingness to make it right. It was consistent Christianity. It's like we said this morning when we were talking about Jesus. When people looked at Jesus, they saw an example of what it was to live under the power of the Spirit of God. And this is what he saw. You know, we never know what doors the Lord will open for us, like he did for Joseph, to go from the pit to the palace. For David, to go from a shepherd boy to become king, when Saul was so mean and so he wanted to kill him, but God was using all of that to train David to have a tender heart toward people. You know, having the right response when we've been treated unfairly is important to God. Look back at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 19. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 19. We've said in servants, verse 18, servants be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the forward. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience sake toward God. In other words, your conscience, you're thinking about how, how would God want me to respond? What would God want me to do? If for conscience sake, uh, toward God, endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if when you are buffeted for your faults, you take it patiently? So in other words, if you've been... If, you, if, if you've done wrong and you take it patiently, well, what, what, so what's good about that? But if when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this, notice, is acceptable unto God. This is acceptable unto God. That word thankworthy and the word acceptable there, in, uh, thankworthy in 19 and acceptable in verse 20 is the word charis. It means grace. God's grace when we suffer for doing that which is right, this will be regarded by God with favor, with His grace. You know, it is no great thing if we've done wrong and patiently endured our punishment, but when we have done that which is right and are treated wrongfully and take it patiently, that is acceptable with God. God's grace will be poured out upon us. Barnes in his Bible commentary said this, our proper business in life is to do the will of God, to demonstrate the right spirit, however, however others may treat us, and to show even under excessive wrong the sustaining power and the excellency of God's grace. Each one who is oppressed and wronged, therefore, has an opportunity to show a spirit which will honor the gospel. How do you respond 
when you try to do right and others treat you unfairly, rudely, or harshly? Do you suffer patiently or do you strike back? We have an example to follow. We find it there in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Look what it says. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. Notice as we consider this, when we think of Jesus and, and what he went through for us, we have an amazing example. Jesus, what, it, what was it about his example? Well, look what it says. Who did no sin. What does it mean he did no sin? He didn't sin. Jesus did no sin. He never sinned. He didn't sin once. If he would have sinned, he could not have been our sacrifice. So that means that even as a child, when he, uh, his parents told him to do something, he did it. He said, well, man, I, could you imagine brothers and sisters like that? What's wrong with you? Do you have to listen to them all the time? Do you have to obey mom and dad all the time? Why don't you be like me? Well, what? Jesus didn't respond. He just did what was right. Oh, you know what? You're just trying to be a Miss Goody Two-Shoes, aren't you? When I was in college, it was interesting. People would say stuff like this. You tried to follow the Lord, do what was right, follow the word of God. They'd say, well, you're just trying to be spiritual. And if you're not careful, you say, spiritual? No, I don't want to be spiritual. You say, wait a minute, hold on a second. Yeah, it's exactly what I'm trying to be, spiritual. Folks, can I tell you something? People who don't want to be spiritual are people who want you to be carnal. People who want you to fall. God wants you to do what's right. We have an example to follow, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus did no sin. Well, when people respond roughly and rudely to you and unfairly to you, and you respond the way that Jesus would have responded, and you have many examples in the Scripture, you know what? God says His grace is going to be poured out upon you. His favor is going to be poured out upon you. But if I turn back and I lash out at them and I'm mean toward them, I'm not following the Lord's example. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them, and they, what, follow me. They follow in my footsteps. They follow that direction. Notice the second thing that we follow, notice about the Lord Jesus as the example, that when things got tough, he did, you know, um, he did, or excuse me, when people spoke, uh, spoke against him, Jesus didn't speak guile. Look at verse number 22. Who did, not, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. That word guile means craft or deceit. This is the idea of to catch by bait. This word of craft, this word uh, of, this, of guile is used in a couple different places. Let me just quote them to you. Matthew 26, verses 3 and 4. It says, then, the assemb uh, assem then assembled together the chief priests and the scribes and the elders of the people into, a, into the palace of the high priest, who was called Caiaphas, and they consulted that they might take Jesus by subtlety, the same word, guile, craft, and to kill him. That's what they wanted to do. How can we put Jesus in a situation where we can kill him. Mark ch uh, chapter 14, verse 1, we have a similar thing. After two days was the feast of the Passover and the unleavened bread, and the chief priests and the scribes sought how that they might take him by craft, by guile. How can we bait him? That's why when people went to him and said, you know, uh, are we supposed to uh, honor Caesar or not? 
What they were trying to do is they were trying to use guile. They were trying to use craft. They were trying to get Jesus to say something where the Roman government could put him to death. That's what they were doing. And Jesus said, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and unto God the things that are God. And they couldn't quite get a hold of that. But they were trying by craft. You know, Jesus never tried to use words that would be deceitful. He spoke the truth. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 8, verse 40, Jesus said, But now you seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth, which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. Jesus just told the truth, and they wanted to put him to death. He didn't speak like they spoke. He wasn't using guile, and he didn't seek revenge. Look at verse 23. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. That word reviled means to heap abuse upon. Jesus didn't respond in kind when people were unkind to him. When he suffered, he threatened not. He didn't say to the one who put the crown of thorns on his head, I'll get even with you. Or when they, they put the, the, the uh, he, uh, hood on him and they buffeted him, they, he didn't say, well, you know what, I'll, I'll, get, I'll get even with you in one day. He didn't say that. So, well, Pastor, that would have been the normal, normal bent. Rather, Jesus, he committed himself to the Father. He let God, the Father, going to deal with it. Look what he says in verse number 23. Who, when he, had, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. He let the Father deal with it. He was going to let God deal with the situation. The Bible says in Romans 12, verses 19 through 21, it says, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink, for in so doing you shall heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. You know, the world is watching how we respond when others are unfair and unkind to us. Do we reflect the image of Jesus Christ in our life or do we respond the way that the world responds? So, a pastor, it's not always easy to respond the right way. You know what? There have been times when I haven't responded the right way. And you know I've had, what I've had to do? I've had to humble myself and go and say, you know what, I'm sorry, I did wrong. So, Pastor, don't you know, real men never apologize. Let me just tell you something. That is the world's view. That's not God's view. And that's a bunch of hogwash. Because people will have more respect for you when you admit that you're wrong, when you've been wrong, than to try and bluff your way through. And, and uh, just because of your authority and your position, you can just go ahead and act any old way you want. That's not true. Parents, can I tell you something? Your kids know when you've done wrong. When you made a wrong judgment call. Any parent ever made a wrong judgment call? Because you didn't have sufficient information. If you had all the facts, you could have made the right judgment call. How we respond may be the key to people coming to know Christ. I think of the thief on the cross. Jesus responded the way that he did. As we said, we just read it a moment ago. 
When he was reviled, didn't revile again. When he was threatened, the thief on the cross saw all this. And if, as you look at that portion, those portions of Scripture, at the first, both thieves were railing on Jesus themselves. But one, watching him on the cross for those six hours, realized there was something different. And that's why he said to the other thief on the cross, he said, hey, we deserve to be here. But this man hath done nothing that he should be here. Lord, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. And even there, Jesus was merciful. Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. What a merciful Savior we've got. How wonderful that is. How do we respond? How do we respond? Hey, let's respond right. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you for thy word tonight. And I pray, God, that you would help us to respond correctly when we are in life, both to those that treat us well, but Lord, also to those that don't treat us the way that is kind and, and gracious. Father, we need to uh, realize that we do have a choice in how we will respond. May we follow our example, the Lord Jesus Christ. May, be he, may he be the one that shines forth out of our life. Father, I pray that you would help us, God, to walk in a way that would be pleasing in your sight. With every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe you can think of you in your own life tonight. You say, Pastor, you know there's been some things I have not always, I have not responded right in situations. Maybe I haven't responded right to my brother or my sister. Maybe I haven't responded right to my husband or to my wife or to someone else. And you know right now, as, as sure as you're sitting here, you know exactly what, what, what some issues. All you've got to do is Ask the Spirit of God to show you, and man, it'll come to your mind. But you know, like that young man who was saved, he had to get some things right, did he not? And sometimes it's not always easy to go and get things right. But if we want God's blessing, we must do it God's way. Maybe tonight you say, Pastor, there are some, there are some decisions, there are some times that I have not responded right. They're in my mind right now, and I know that I need to get those things right in order to have God's blessing. I've been kind of trying to put it under the carpet, and it's not working too well. But tonight, God's spoken to my heart. If God's spoken to your heart about something like that tonight, and you'd like to have me pray for you, I'd love to pray for you that God would give you power to do what's right. Would you just slip your hand up for just a moment? Is there anyone? Yes, I see that hand. Yes, several hands raised tonight. You know, it's not just enough to think about it, for the Lord to acknowledge it in your heart. The next step, remember we talked about change. Change comes when you do something about it. And tonight, I pray that God would give you the strength to do something about it, to talk to that one, to acknowledge that, get those things right, so that you can move forward. Dear Father, we pray tonight for these that have raised their hand. I pray, God, that you would cause them right now, tonight, to have the strength and to have the humility and the boldness to do what needs to be done. Give them the courage so that they can have things right. Father, I pray that you would help us to always walk in a life that's pleasing to thee. I pray, Lord, tonight, too, that uh, if there's one without Jesus, that they would come.